0: Hi, I'm David Abrams, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Tenant Experience Network podcast. I want to welcome today's guest, Matt Knight, founder of PropTech Angel Group, an investor in early stage technology for commercial buildings. In this episode, we will learn about Matt's journey to his current role as investor and board member, where he combines his learning from early days in private equity to becoming a PropTech nerd. We will tap into his thinking around how tech will get us back to the workplace as one of his keys to success and get a glimpse into what is top of mind for Matt as he continues to navigate through new challenges and emerging opportunities. We're excited to be sharing this podcast with you, so make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the Tenant Experience Network. I'd like to welcome Matt to the show. Hey, Matt, really glad you could be with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so, to sort of kick things off, I'd love to get a better understanding of your journey to your current role as I hope I got this right founder, investor, board member. There might be a few other titles uh, that, that I saw along
1: the way, but just wondering how you got started and you can just walk us through that process. Yeah, sure. I, I came from the private equity real estate world. I worked for a company called Colony Capital which is now Colony Northstar, And I managed a few hundred million of real estate for them in the last recession. And I, I left in 2013 to start my own thing. I started an investing firm with a partner and that was a lot of fun, but I pretty quickly realized I needed a way to differentiate what I did. There were a lot of people with more money and experience, a better golf game than I had. And so I had to say, you know, why, why would Mr. Broker call me? And so my answer was just, I'm going to use tech. I could open my computer and most guys that I competed against could not. And so I just became this prop tech nerd in 2013. Uh, When prop tech wasn't a thing, I was just, you were just called a nerd. There was no such thing as a prop tech nerd. You were just a nerd. And so that was me eventually turned it into a venture fund, which I started with a partner. Uh, And we built that up. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of strategic investors. We built an incubator with WeWork. We did an accelerator, I had a lot of fun as a micro VC, kind of small, small early check seed round, and then uh, ended up leaving last year, early last year, and ever since then, I've been out doing some angel investing with some of my favorite investors, which is a lot of fun. Do a little bit of consulting, as you said, trying to help my portfolio companies any way that I can, and figuring out what I'm going to be when I grow up, which is, you know, maybe just an angel investor. I I don't know. They don't make me grow up. I probably won't. So that's, that's where I am right now.
0: Well, first of all, it's not a bad profession. I know a number of people that have done quite well and certainly is exciting, never a dull moment. Um, so interestingly, we both have 2013 in common. Uh, that is actually the year that I wrote the strategy document for what ultimately became Hilo and the platform that, that I built and founded. Um, and I agree with you in 2013, you know, prop tech certainly did not exist as a term. Um, and when I went out to sort of share my idea with people within the industry, uh, they looked at me like I was from outer space. Um, thank goodness that's all changed. Uh, but
1: but but that was the year. So uh, we we know tech. We have Excel. We use Argus. We're tech forward. You know, like <laughs> I, I I know what you're saying. Right. Um, so why do
0: you think you were so uniquely suited to this opportunity? Uh, any unique skills that have helped you uh, to
1: become successful in sort of this path you follow? Is desperation a skill? Does that count? Like I just like. Trying to find, like scrambling to find a way to win deals. Um, you know, I, it's tough to say because it's it's such an amalgamation of all the things you learn along the way. And just there's so many amazing people in the space that it's, I've learned a lot from the venture world. I've learned a lot from the CRE world. I've learned a lot from angel investors and my partners. So I don't know that there's any skill that I have. I just kind of dumb luck found a lot of really smart people that, would speak when I'm around and I just kind of be scribbling oh yes and say that again you know like I just I (laughs) had a lot of very bright people around me which has been, been very fortunate
0: well we'll talk about influences in your life a little bit later on so you 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 let the cat out of the bag on that one but that's okay um you said desperation I think you know so maybe desperation is more a state of mind maybe more determination is the unique skill um combination thereof I guess right
1: uh, yeah, it's funny. Determination is one of those weird things where it's, it's very much glorified in the startup world, but there's also a point of like belligerent determination where it's like you're, you're, you're square peg in a round hole, man. Like, so it's one of the, like, there's, there is a correct amount of determination, right? It's like right. you are forcing a solution where there is not a problem. And so I think it gets a little over glorified in the startup space. It's like, Oh, I keep hustling 3am. Yeah. Go get them. And it's like, are you, are you sure you got product market fit? Like, this should be a little easier than that. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. It should be hard, but not quite that hard.
0: Well, as a founder, uh, it is hard to realize it probably that maybe it's not going to work because we are. it's, it's just inbred within us that you know, we're gonna, we see the finish line, right? Um, pretty hard to let that go, I would imagine. So far, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Um, any advice for someone wanting to follow a similar path?
1: Um, you know, ironically, it is just stay determined. It's just there's, most people won't understand it. And so they won't, they'll, 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 most people aren't overtly mean, they just kind of subtly are like, okay, I got luck with that, right? They just kind of dismiss you off. And like, if you're not stupid, you understand what they're saying is like, that's not gonna work, right? So no, no one says that to you, but they kind of imply it with how's your thing going, right? They can't even tell you what you do, you know? I'm sure you know that as a startup founder. It's like, oh, you know, how's your app? You know, like they just say it with disdain in their voice. And so, again, <laughs> there's this like resiliency about like, ignore them, right? Like, they, like there's, there's nine out of 10 are that person and it's okay, they're not bad. They just don't understand. And so that's kind of the fun thing about being in PropTech now is there's enough of us now that do get it. And we will support you and we'll cheer you on and be like, yeah, you're doing something worthwhile. Keep with it. So mine is kind of stick with it, but find a crew that will support you and understands what you're trying to do.
0: Right. So just a little bit off script in terms of prop tech and how it's emerged. What, what do you think of the current prop tech space and uh, the amount of activity, the amount of attention, just any thoughts, uh, given that as, as we both pointed out in 2013, when we sort of recognized an opportunity, it really didn't exist at that time.
1: Well, what's interesting in recording this in late summer, 2020 is that answer is different now than it might have been eight months ago. Right. Because right. like an office the space that you and I know it's a year ago. People would have said, let's all oh, let's keep up with. We work and their design. We got to have creative office space. We got to be flexible. And now it's like, when someone asks me about the design of their office, I like laugh at them. I'm like, if if you can't keep me healthy, I'm not coming back no matter what it looks like, right? Don't tell me how cheap the lease is or how sexy the lobby I don't care you have a Peloton. Like I'm not walking in that building until you tell me there is touchless access, there's occupancy sensors, there's incredibly high quality air quality monitors. Like like that's that's what matters. And so PropTech is having this almost tragic moment in the sun now where it's like, Tech is what's getting me back to your office building and your retail center and making me stay sane in my apartment. Like this is a tech problem, not a finance problem, not a location problem, not the typical real estate stuff. It is a tech problem. And so I think it's having this, like I said, strangely fortuitous and I don't want to be callous to the devastation that COVID-19 has caused because it's been terrible, but it's forced some people to stop what they were doing and think about how can I add tech to my portfolio? Right. So it's wildly more relevant now than it ever has been, and so I think I, a lot of the trends that were happening are just happening faster, and a lot of the early adopters and early majority are really, really paying attention. Even some of the late majority, if you kind of bind to the diffusion of innovation curve, are starting to have to pay attention to this. Right, the laggards still have their flip phones and they're retired and they don't care, but everybody else is saying, "All right, I need to. We need to. We need to reassess this." So I think it's a, a, a strangely Extraordinary time right now. Yeah,
0: I agree. It was hard for me to get into the mindset as to, to try to look for the silver lining of COVID because I just felt it was awful, and mm-hmm. I'm generally not the type to sort of look take a bad situation and try to find what's what's good in it. Um, but I do agree. I think obviously uh, a lot has accelerated now as a result of this, and you know when we look at our platform, um, we really believe it's it's moved. Up you know, from uh, a vitamin to an aspirin where there's a lot more need. And given that tech is going to be so critical to people coming back to the workplace and, and the definition of workplace has changed so dramatically. It really is now work from everywhere. And uh, we believe that our platform, particularly not being just a building app, but being more of a network is going to help, you know, bridge that, that, that divide that gap and and provide a really interesting solution. So um Uh, I'm with you there. You know,
1: what's the biggest challenge you're experiencing right now and how do you think you'll overcome it? Biggest challenge right now is I have more deals that I like than I have time to fund them. Right. The problem with being an angel group is there is no analyst. There is no associate. It's just me and a bunch of part-timers trying to put capital into deals. And I got to do a formal diligence and open bank accounts and form an LLC, you know, like that, all that stuff. I have very limited bandwidth. And so, uh, I, I have probably three deals that within a fund context, I would be deeply interested in funding and I can probably only do one of them because I only have time for one. So my, my issue is time constraints, not opportunities. So, so that's really interesting. So I guess to that end,
0: what, then what, if there's the, the three that you'd perhaps do, but the one you choose to do, what's creating that standout? What's helping that one to jump, jump above the, the, the other two?
1: Part of the way I think about this is if you're going to be a thoughtful investor, you have to be a mix of reactive and proactive. Like we all have decks that come across our desks that we react to and say, that's a clever play and that's a, that's a need, but there's also proactive. And so you have your theses that you pursue and say, I think the future of work is going to look like this. And I think there's a few tech solutions that solve for that. And so I go look for those solutions in those companies. And so I would tell you the ones that most align with my, admittedly arbitrary and subjective view on these theses are the ones that I give priority to right and then when I feed them through my group and through my advisors and say is this a real problem is this compelling would you pay for it how much would you pay you know I ask my diligence questions and I get a lot of vehemently positive feedback now I know I'm on to something right Uh, and so it's it's actually a built-in mechanism into the group as I have people looking at deals with me almost every day and so when I hear people say wait a minute they're doing what? Like, can I, you know, like, I found her saying, I'll give you some money for that because that's amazing, right? That's when I know I'm on to something from these guys that really know the space. So you've got that real, real, real world filter uh, embedded in your process, right? Because they have nothing to gain or lose from telling me that, right? It's right. not their company. They're not pitching me on anything. They're like, I'm in these meetings with these landlords and I'm telling you that what these guys are doing is remarkable. And so some of my best inbound leads come from my angels that are. Founders of prop tech companies that say, "I'm putting ten grand to this company. Do you want to do it with me?" Right. That's a very strong. That's a very strong referral. Absolutely. Uh,
0: if you had an extra hundred thousand dollars of budget right now, how would you spend
1: it, and why? On an analyst. I just, I just, I just to pay <laughs> an analyst, right? Like just someone to do diligence and put together investment memos for me. Like it just takes way too much of my time.
0: Right. All right. Well, I'll see what I can do on the hundred K. If not, I'll send you my resume. Um, uh, are there any resources? And so we talked a little bit about this in your opening comments, but any resources, mentors, colleagues, books that have really helped you along your journey?
1: You know, Warren Buffett has a quote about this when there, or maybe it was Charlie Munger. He talks about what's your favorite investing book. And it's like, I've read 200, I, you know, like So I love Ben Horowitz's book, but I just read a book by Andy Duke about thinking in bets that was great. And I'm doing one now on uh, essentialism that's really good. And I just finished one on the courage to be disliked. So I mean, again, there are 50 books, you know, Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham from the 20s, right? And then Ray Dalio's Principles was really interesting to me, right? And then, I mean, again, there's there's 50 books, 20 podcasts, 5,000 conversations. Like it's, it's, it's an agglomeration of, of collective knowledge, not like one thing. So I do underwrite and write articles on a few books that really stand out, but I take pieces I like from each of them and apply them to my thesis and my stage in this century and you know whatever the current situation is. Right, interesting.
0: Um, can you share any details about anything new you're working on, something that you think our listeners might find interesting?
1: It's funny thinking about the angel group, is angel groups are fairly, um, they're kind of all over the place. I mean, people, most people don't even know what that means, an angel group. And so, what I've started learning about our group is that we are as much just a community as we are a club of investors. Is I don't really care how many deals we do. You know, like if we do two, but we love them and people love it, I'm very happy with that, right? Versus the first question investors is, how many deals do you do? Like, I, I don't really care, right? And so, what I'm working on is a lot of tools for engagement with our group. And so, partnerships with people like Superpeer that allow us to do paid mentorship for our members. I'm working on some cool internal tools. Obviously, we're growing our Slack community and kind of how people can trade deals and data and leads and partnerships. So, everything I'm working on uh, on the group side is about just facilitating that community and try and preventing myself from being the bottleneck everybody has to go through Mac because I don't want that I'm not interested in that I want you guys to do remarkable things without me and I just provide the forum right how competitive is
0: that is the angel world right now in terms of the 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 network and the group that you're building um, uh, you know is, is it is it easy to access and find those that are are interested and able to invest in in the kind of projects you're working on is is this
1: a competitive environment share any details on that So in terms of finding the actual investors or finding deals? The investors. I wouldn't say investors are terribly hard to find because I'm an investor. So it's kind of, we're kind of brethren, I suppose. Um, But I would tell you unlocking what matters to them and how to get them to show up and engage. There's just some nuance in that. There's some art to that beyond just the science. Because a lot of people say, I don't need an angel group. I'm the greatest angel that's ever walked the earth in Boston, right? I don't need your help. Okay, right, or hey, I'm too busy running my company. I'm gonna do deals as I like to do them. I don't have time. Okay, no big deal, right? Like, So I don't ever try and force anybody or sell anybody on this. It's gotta be something that really fits with your goals and lifestyles and financial uh, goals. But I, I think that's where more like the actual intro and the meaning of the people is not terribly challenging. The actual getting them to be engaged which is probably something worth mentioning is the only thing I really ask from my members is be engaged and respect the other members. Because if you don't do either of those two, we're going to have a problem. I don't care how many checks you write. I don't care your net worth. If you're engaged, you're going to help my portfolio and our portfolio companies, right? If you respect the other members, you're not going to be spamming people with, let me introduce you to my wealth management guy. Here's some insurance. And you're like, that's not okay. Uh, but otherwise, I don't have a lot of rules. If, you, if I need to give you rules, you're not a good fit for the group anyway. Right.
0: Okay. Um, If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why?
1: My superpower would be like the gift to sway other people's minds into things. Like if I could convince you, if I could just wave my fingers and the entire world thought that it was you are okay the way you are. I think that's all about eighty percent of the world's problems, right? Like, if I could just get rid of that ego chasing and the like, you got to be better and you got to keep up with that guy, and you don't look good enough, and you're not smart enough, you don't have enough money. Like, if I could just get rid of that, I think that would be a superpower I'd want. Just everybody chill the f out, be okay with who you are, be a little more comfortable in your skin, way less drama. So that would be my superpower. Is just like changing people's psyche a little bit.
0: A little, I love it. Maybe a little more tolerant, a little more patient. Yep. Um, Yep. I love it. All right, well there's something there for sure. Um, So listen, these are certainly uh, unexpected times and and, um, lots of complexity in the world. What are you really curious about right now? Is there anything that has you thinking differently in light of current circumstances?
1: Differently in light of the COVID or in kind of where we are in the cycle or all of the above? All of the above. I think we're at an interesting time in, I mean, Proptech's kind of obvious, but I think there's also this interesting time in venture capital right now that, that I am trying to study and understand because venture capital got extraordinarily crowded over the last 10 years. And so what does that mean in terms of strategy, deal flow, execution, operations, recruiting, all that stuff? That's a very interesting question. And so when do you expand overseas? When do you do deals outside of your home country? When do you lead around? When do you co-invest, right? Those questions to me have changed over the last 10 years and are going to continue to change. How long are companies staying private? Are SoftBank and Fidelity and Welding going to keep people staying private for 12 years on average, which used to be four years, right, in the 80s? And so is that pendulum swinging back? And so to me, I think what I'm curious about now is, what does venture capital look like in 2025 or 2030? And how do those funding trends flow back down? Because in our space, right, we work, tried to go public, and they're not a tech company, but they got confused with tech companies. So people said, oh, PropTech, we work. Yeah, I know them. So, right or wrong, the public seems to think that's PropTech company, right? When they didn't, what did we learn from that? that that's an interesting question. How does that flow down to early stage investing? That's a pretty interesting question to examine.
0: Yeah, well, I think on that front, it's just really too bad that they were considered a prop tech company or a technology company, you know, pretty much all along until that moment in
1: time. Um, Well, you say that, um, but if Industrious goes public and they kill it, then we might be, yeah, all right, 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 go get them, Industrious. They kind of do the same thing. They're a co-working management company, right? Right. Um, VTS will be really interesting. Airbnb is imminent. They're going to be interesting. Procore is going to be interesting. I mean, there's a lot coming up that could... I don't want to say sweep that under the rug but sort of change public perception slightly or at least alter it mildly. So I think it'll be the next 12 months will be interesting to watch the public markets and what what proptech is viewed as,
0: right? Um we spoke earlier about uh returning to workplace and you definitely had some thoughts, you know, for you it's all around, you know, health, safety, well-being. Um none of us can make predictions as to what that's going to look like. Um any just any thoughts in general around what you're seeing uh you know friends family colleagues around returning to the workplace um you know industry professionals um what do you think it's going to take how long do you think it's going to take
1: i I would tell you i i'm sure like you do i read a lot of articles on this because it's relevant to my day job and so there's the camp of like facebook and you know shopify we'll never come back in the office ever again right And then there's the get back in the office as soon as possible. No productivity happens outside of these four walls, right? And I I think like most people, I'm somewhere in the middle is, I think many companies are being thoughtful. And, And what I'm grateful for is people are asking these questions about why do we have meetings? Why do you drive that far to work? And which meetings are really necessary in person, right? Like those questions should have been asked a while ago, right? If you were a thoughtful founder, you probably did. And there's a lot of companies that have been Remote or distributed or partial, you know, very flexible on telecommute options. So, this is not new to let's say 10% of the companies, right? But for the other 90 that really had to self examine, I'm fascinated to see where they come out because I do buy that we're not all going back to five days a week, nine hours a day in the office driving long commutes. Like, I think that time of 100% of that is over. I think that is over, right? But again, the like no one's ever back in the office, nonsense, right? Like we all need some interaction, we need some in-person meetings, there's some whiteboarding. there's some things that have to happen, some jobs that have to be done in person. So I don't know where that works out. Some stats I've seen is 25 to 40% of the workforce survey, this was out of a DC survey, Mm -hmm. are gonna have some sort of remote or telecommute options going forward permanently. I think that's even low. I think it may be 60, 70%. It could be, it could be 80% and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Cause I hear it from Fortune 500 companies that are as old and stodgy as you can get. And they're like, this has been pretty good. Like we're, we're still, look at our revenue. We're still doing fine.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think the number of companies that are, are, will accommodate a, a flexible work schedule is going to be much higher. Uh, the extent to which people actually work from you know, home or remote or from anywhere, um, I think is going to really vary. Um, because I, and I do really believe, I believe the companies that made those, um, grand statements very early on, were going to be a virtually remote company forever and a day. I think they're going to regret that comment, that decision. Um, and I think their, their workforce, when given an opportunity to work at other companies that have found ways to bring people back together and have those moments of creativity and spontaneity and collaboration, uh, that's going to be pretty enticing because, uh, I can tell you that my team, uh, small but mighty, uh, we've made it work, but it's not easy. It, it's not easy working um, remotely and, 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 and not together in any way, you know, for a long period of time. So um, I, I look forward to, and, and of course, we're very focused on being part of that solution and, and helping buildings and businesses find ways to, you know, ultimately come back together and to your point, make them feel safe and secure. And, and also recognize that, you know, the, the building community now stretches way beyond the four walls of any building. Um, so,
1: and I think what's interesting about it is this, this thing that started happening in retail 10 or 15 years ago, maybe more around placemaking is just, it's a place where you come and do more than one thing, right? You're not just shopping at the shopping center. You're going to the spa and you're getting groceries and, you know, you're doing a lot of different things. Maybe you, you know get your nails done, I mean, whatever it is, like you know, Topgolf was good at this, where you would stay at Topgolf for four or five hours and be like, oh my God, I've been here for five hours, right? And you didn't even know it because it was such an enjoyable experience. So right. I think there's gonna be this pendulum swing or maybe just this accelerating trend on, you really have to have a reason to stay for multiple hours. And a lot of the thoughtful landlords, I think, are thinking, thinking strategically about that.
0: Right, yep, it's gonna be very exciting to see what unfolds, what comes next. Um, anything you wish you had known when you first started out?
1: Um, I think I wish I had known that um, that tech wasn't the problem. And I'm going to say that again. Okay. Because my son just opened the door. That's all right. Right when I started this, it was like, hey – if only we had the tech, we would solve the problems. And what I've realized is the tech already exists, right? We just need to put it in packages that are usable for landlords and owners and tenants and managers, right? So it's like computer vision and blockchain, like we're not waiting on some new invention. We're you we're looking more at use cases. So you know what I mean? Like it's not we're not waiting on a tech innovation, we're waiting for the right application in our space. And I had thought there was more technological challenge, and that really has not been my experience. Right. So just
0: continuation from that, and, and I guess you know, maybe, maybe a prediction in my last question. Um, do you think now that you know, we've talked about technology being so critical to, to forming part of the solution and bringing people back to the workplace, but in the mindset of the operators, the, the, the developers, the property managers, um, you know, what impact do you think all of this will have on their willingness to adopt, to try, to
1: experiment? Um, and this to- being COVID in 2020 and all this stuff? yeah. I, you know, like I said, I think it accelerates it. It's it's the, the problem will be, in my opinion, is they will be overwhelmed, and I think a lot of them will throw their hands up and say, "There's 30 people that do this thing. How do I know which one?" Right? Which is part of what I get excited is like, "Well, call me. Like that's my like that's my job, right? Like let me tell you the ones that I think are the most fundable and have the longest term prospects to them." So. I don't think it's a lack of opportunity. I don't think it's a lack of desire. I think it's a lack of the skill set to know how to underwrite a tech company or a tech product. And so a lot of people don't know how to do that. They're underwriting properties and working on operations and streamlining property taxes. That's not the same as, is this computer vision company going to be around in five years? It's a pretty different skill set. So I anticipate there to be some increased appetite, but also some increased frustration around like, I don't know, like we put an RFP out and got 900 responses, now what do I do, right? Like that's, it's, it's not about availability of the tech, it's about knowing which one to choose or which two or three you should pilot with.
0: Right, I agree. And I think we're seeing now in, in, in companies of all sizes um, with more technology savvy innovation um, skill sets coming you know, in, into the, that decision-making process to help make that evaluation. Um, but, uh, you know, and for me as a founder and, 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 and talking with this industry, what we're trying to do and really how we're positioning ourselves is really trying to be of help, um, not just sort of selling in and competing just as another, you know, commoditized product, but you know, how can we demonstrate that we'd be a great partner and that, you know, there's really a lot of value add, and, and we think we can help you in your business. And I think that's also perhaps, you know, a
1: point of differentiation that, that over time will hopefully serve us well. Partner is a good way to frame it because you, you, could, you can help people, especially if you have a platform instead of a point solution, you can help people with their decisions and say, we integrate with these guys or we know those guys or we've done this. one this. Like, You can give them feedback if you are a partner versus just a vendor relationship is a little, a little less enticing, I would assume.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Well, these are certainly um, challenging times. I really appreciate your taking the time to, to chat with us today. Um, I look forward to continuing the conversation and hope that we can stay connected and uh, learn a little bit more about you know what's on your radar and what's working, what's not, and uh, continuing to see uh, where this prop tech world uh, takes us and how ultimately you know it helps commercial real estate, particularly at this moment in time. Well, happy to do it. I appreciate you having me on and giving me the time. Great. Thanks very much. Bye now. I want to thank Matt Knight for joining us on today's podcast and for sharing his journey from early beginnings in private equity, managing commercial real estate, to becoming an angel investor. Great learning for all our listeners and an opportunity to gain insights into what it takes to be successful in early stage investment. Please be sure to tune in again for future discussions with leading professionals and industry experts who all have something to say about experience in the built world and the impact the technology is having on the largest asset class in the world, commercial real estate. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please reach out to me directly at david@hiloapp.com. And until our next episode, I wish you all continued success in building community where you work or live. Thank you.